Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. minute where we know better than to try and catch things thrown by feral children in mad max to the road warrior one minute at a time i'm rick and i'm julia and today we're talking about minute 33 which begins with a magic boomerang and it ends with wes coming to grips with the loss of the golden youth i'm going to explain later on in this episode why that may not be the case so you want to talk about boomerangs (laughs) yeah let's talk about boomerangs boomerang physics According to the Wikipedia page for boomerangs, a boomerang is a tool typically constructed of a flat airfoil that, when thrown, is designed to spin about an axis perpendicular to the direction of its flight. A returning boomerang is designed to return to its thrower. It is well known as a weapon used by indigenous Australians for hunting. See, boomerangs have been historically used for hunting as well as sport and entertainment. They are commonly thought of as an Australian icon and come in various shapes and sizes. And materials. And materials. Apparently. Right. They can come in uh, wood, plastics, carbon fiber, especially modern times. In this movie specifically, it seems to be a polished piece of, I would say, steel? Yeah. Yeah, that seems seems about right. It's certainly shiny enough for that. Yes. According to the etymology section. Is it shiny and chrome? Yes. The feral child's boomerang is indeed shiny and most likely chrome. (laughs) So the origin of the term boomerang is mostly certain, but... Many researchers have different theories on how the word entered into the English vocabulary. One source asserts that the term entered the language in 1827, adapted from an extinct Aboriginal language of New South Wales. But they also mention a variant of Womerang, which dates to 1798. The boomerang was first encountered by Western people at Farm Cove in Port Jackson, Australia, in December 1804, when a weapon was witnessed during a tribal skirmish. David Collins listed Womerang as one of the eight Aboriginal names of clubs in 1798. A 1790 anonymous manuscript on Aboriginal language of New South Wales reported Boomerit as the scimitar. In 1822, it was described in detail and recorded as Baumerang in the language of Turawai people, a subgroup of the Darug of the Georges River near Port Jackson. The Turawai used other words for their hunting sticks, but used boomerang to refer to a returning throw stick. They were also mistakenly referred to as woomerang in confusion with the aboriginal spear-throwing device called a woomera. I am willing to bet that I mispronounced every single one of those words. Well, it sounded good. (laughs) I mean, you know, you did your best. So it's thought that the shape and returning aspects of the boomerang were used primarily for, like, hunting small birds and things like that. But the way the boomerang flies and the sound that it makes during flight, it probably was more used as kind of a way to rustle up trees and scare prey out of places that wasn't easy to okay. reach. Chances are you didn't see as many people using boomerangs in the same way that the feral kid is using the boomerang where you're throwing it He's... specifically to lodge it in the cranium of the thing you're throwing it at. Yes. And this is the first time we've seen him throw it, period, correct? Mm-hmm. And he has had opportunities before now to hunt. He has been out in the wasteland outside the walls before and has not done it. So has not used it to hunt. 
Mm-hmm. I was kind of hoping to see that because that's what we've thought of as its purpose for him. You know, maybe when we first see him popping out of that hole as Max is driving by, maybe give him an opportunity to throw the boomerang at least once. So that yeah. way it's introduced to us before this moment. Right. Now you read up a little bit about the throwing technique, right? Back when we first met the feral child, I did a little tiny, tiny bit of research about boomerangs. I watched a couple of videos about throwing boomerangs so that they will come back to you. I remember as a kid having little plastic toy boomerangs, and I understood that the idea of a boomerang was that it came back to you. But these particular ones, they weren't built to do that. They were just things to throw at each other. They were just little pieces of plastic. I had no concept of how to actually make it come back to you. So I watched a couple videos, and it's a skillful thing. You have to hold it just right. You have to throw it just right. You also need the right wind Mm. and the right wind speed compared with how much power you give the throw. It's not something that happens on accident. In this minute, we see two separate throws. Right. One by an obviously very skilled child that hits its mark very well. Yeah. (laughs) And then one by a presumably unskilled person in a highly emotional state. And they both, (laughs) and they both return. I'm like, no, 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 no. I know almost nothing about boomerangs, but Wes's throw should not have returned. Okay, so going back to the Wikipedia page, in the section about throwing technique, they say that properly thrown boomerang should curve around to the left, climb gently, level out in mid-flight, arc around, and descend slowly, and then finish by popping up slightly, hovering, then stalling near the thrower. Ideally, this momentary hovering or stalling will allow the catcher the opportunity to clamp their hands, shut horizontally on the boomerang from above and below, sandwiching the center between their hands. Like a frisbee. Exactly. Which is not what the feral child did. No, no, he's got He, like, plucked it out of the air with his super glove. Yeah, this is great jump back into the minute opportunity, (laughs) because we start this minute with Wes watching the sky. The boomerang flies around. It's this bright silver mm-hmm. thing in this blue sky background. And the feral child has this glove. And it's a big old thick glove. And it's got chain mail in the palm. Yeah. And as the boomerang comes back towards him, he shuffles backwards or Only a few shimmies steps. backwards. Like he, his accuracy was pretty good. And then he reaches up and just grabs it right out of the air. And watching this minute, I'm oh, like, the filming on shenanigans. this is funky. <laughs> so I love the effect that they are able to achieve. It looks more or less like he plucked it out of the air. But in Road War, they were interviewing Emil Minty, and he said that they had the boomerang on a wire when he catches it. And he doesn't specifically say in that interview that they began the shot with him holding the boomerang, and then they just kind of pulled it out of his hand, and then he kind of had to shuffle forward. Yeah. But that's what it looks like. And I actually took that shot... Of him shuffling, catching, and I applied the reverse play feature on the editor that I use. And yeah, it looked like they just had him standing there. They pulled the boomerang out of his hand and then he shuffled forward. And it makes a lot of sense because you're not actually supposed to throw giant metal boomerangs at children, typically. Typically. Yeah. I have a feeling Emil Minty's parents probably would have been pretty upset if they were on set that day and suddenly they're throwing boomerangs at their kid, expecting him to catch them. Right. This is why children have have to have a guardian on set. Like I said, it's funny to watch because it's easy to pick out, but I have got to say it is an impressive shot when you look at it in the context of the movie. Yes. 
that this kid is so well-practiced with this giant hunk of metal that he's able to throw it, have it loop around. Even, you know, he missed. He was throwing it at Wes. Wes ducked. It went past Wes, arced back around, and then boom, right back to the feral kid. Mm-hmm. Wes is looking at this tiny child that came out of the ground, out with of his, nowhere. With his crazy eyes. With his crazy eyes. And the feral child says, all right, I missed once. I'm going to go at it again. And so like, we see him harder do, and with more precision. Yeah, we ha- see him do like a little run and he throws that boomerang. And I love this sequence, technically speaking. Yeah. Because he throws the boomerang and then we see Feral Child in the distance in his, you know, post-throw pose, for lack of a better word. We have Wes and then we have the Golden Youth in the foreground. Yep. And so Wes is standing there and Wes ducks. Now... In our minds, the boomerang just left the feral child and is coming straight at Wes. And so when Wes ducks, there's the boomerang. And the boomerang continues on, and it hits the golden youth. Golden youth's head flaps around. He falls out of frame. It's a very well-tuned shot. Yes, it's very crisp. What you see when you really slow it down, and I'm like sitting there on my computer clicking through frames is that the boomerang doesn't come from the direction of the feral child. The boomerang comes off from Wes's right, off a frame that way. Oh. The reason it looks like it's coming from the feral child is that when Wes ducks, the boomerang goes over him, and it's that idea of leading someone's focus. Wes ducks, there's the boomerang, because that's where it is after being thrown from off screen. And... It looks like the boomerang hits the golden youth, but what it actually does is it flies right behind his head. And all of that thrashing around is just that actor being told, okay, you need to act like you're getting hit with a boomerang. Right, right. His head would probably first like snap backwards. Yep. And he's got so much hair that any movement he does is amplified. And so they were probably really careful with how they were throwing the boomerang and whatnot. And in the end, the shot is very well done and very convincing. Wow. So there's no special effects. It's all forced perspective. Exactly. And good acting. And good throwing. Yes. I wonder, like, <laughs> I mean, did they really throw a boomerang? I mean, it wouldn't have been made of metal. It wouldn't have really have been made of metal. They might have had, like, a plastic one that they sprayed up silver and whatnot. Yeah. But, I mean, did they really throw a boomerang at their actors? As I, I mean, they were kind of throwing it past their actors. Yes. But still, close proximity. Right. And have a lot of trust with whoever was throwing that. They use a larger boomerang than was required. That way it would show up better? It wouldn't have to actually be as close to them Mm -hmm. to look close to them. Oh, that's a good point. Like forcing, again, forcing that perspective. It was, if it was very, if it was oversized, then it wouldn't have had to go nearly as close to the golden boy to look like it was coming straight at him. That's a good point. Very Lord of the Rings. I didn't even consider that, but that's very cool to think of. Yeah. One of the things I'm questioning them throwing boomerangs at their ears. (laughs) It doesn't seem like a good idea. Yeah. One thing that really stands out to me after following it that closely is that the boomerang, when it passes the golden youth, is nowhere near his forehead. But when we go to the next shot and the golden youth falls to the ground, the boomerang is embedded in his forehead. And it's cut together so quickly that they totally sell the illusion. Oh, yeah. And when you see him hit that ground, you believe, holy cow, that kid just murdered someone. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. 
that golden youth, he he probably wouldn't even have been there that day if he had had the choice. You know, yeah. he was just there. And, because, and he was just doing what he always does, which, which is standing near Wes. Not paying attention to anything. Yeah. And he just totally got boomeranged in the head. It was yep. crazy. And as the golden youth hits the ground, we cut to Wes. And Wes spins around to look back at the golden youth. And he's got, oh, this look. The look on his face. I noticed in particular that he looked looked older in that shot yeah. than in any other shot we've seen so far. Like you re- you got a really good look at the lines on his face and, and yeah, around his eyes and around his mouth. Yeah, he looked older. Yeah. What was crazy about that look is that it was almost a look of, I want to say horror, a sudden realization that something terrible has happened. Mm-hmm. And I got to say this scene of the golden youth getting hit and was reacting to that and him rushing to the golden youth's side and pawing at his face and looking back up at the feral child it paints wes as more than just a dog of war Mm -hmm. he is a person and right now he has just lost someone who was very valuable to him in a way that we don't completely understand yes you know he's upset and that's a very human reaction to have yes I don't remember the specifics of our conversation way back in the first or second week when we first met the pair of them. Right. We had, I think, an extensive conversation about their relationship. And one thing that we hypothesized was that it was just a power dynamic. Mm -hmm. Well, going back to that, I... think if it was just a power dynamic, he wouldn't react this way. Because if it's just a power dynamic, the golden youth is replaceable. Mm, That's a good point. If he's only an object. Yes. So I think he's more, he means more to Wes than an object. Yeah. Because you could argue that he's so upset because the feral child enacted a form of power over his object. Mm Mm-hmm. And in such a way as to disrupt his dynamic with this other person. But I don't know. That seems a little bit more <laughs> cerebral than I think it is. I think it's pretty surface level. You know, Wes valued the company of the Golden Youth and the Golden Youth is now dead and Wes is mad. <laughs> Yes. And we see him react over the course of the rest of this week. We see him react in a variety of ways. Yeah. Which is classic. Yeah. What's interesting is that Wes looks back up at the feral child and the feral child is kind of standing there and he's kind of got his hands on his hips. He's kind of shifting around a little bit and adjusting his glove. And it must be so awkward when your primary weapon is a boomerang. Right. And and your boomerang sticks in something and you can't get it back. And it's just like... And you've really pissed somebody off. Yeah. Who's not that far away. (laughs) It's like you run out of bullets in your gun and so you throw your gun and now you don't have a gun. (laughs) (laughs) And I got to wonder, what was the feral child's plan at this point? Well, he's a child. Yeah, I guess he, he didn't, didn't really didn't think it through. I mean, he is an eight-year-old. Right. So there's that. <laughs> so Wes spends a moment with the golden youth, and he's like kind of ramping up his anger, and he removes the boomerang from the golden youth's head mm-hmm. and hurls it back towards the feral child. Yep. Before he throws it, we actually hear the Lord Humongous say, Wes... Wes, listen to me. Like, the Lord Humongous is able to recognize that Wes is... Losing control. Losing control, exactly. And Wes does not listen. He lets out a scream, like you said, and throws that boomerang. Yes. I don't recall. It's not in my notes. Does the feral child dodge it? 
Or was did the throw not pose a real threat to the feral child? So Wes throws the boomerang, and the feral child immediately ducks. Okay, okay. Boomerang flies up into the sky, and the and... feral child pops back up to his feet and tries to follow the path of the boomerang. Yeah. It's definitely past the point where he'd be able to catch it, so he's just watching where it goes. Right. And so we get a couple of nice shots of the boomerang flying through the sky, and then the toady starts jogging backwards and running because he thinks that he can catch this boomerang and right. so he shouts i got it i got it and i'm thinking he don't got it he don't got it and i i got a very like oh i want to be part of the fun vibe <laughs> like, like i can here play too. too exactly <laughs> oh boy this is too bad that he's really stupid yeah it's such a dumb decision and okay to his credit had he been wearing the glove, he would have had it. Yeah, exactly. Which was actually to his demise. Yeah. He would have had it. He had gotten far enough back that he could have grabbed it. Mm -hmm. he, he did grab it, as a matter of fact. He puts out his arm above his head and he jumps for it. And then we get a close up uh -huh. of that boomerang going through <laughs> his hand. I tried to slow it down frame by frame to see exactly how many fingers he lost. And it's interesting because it nicks his thumb goes through his index, middle, and ring finger, and I don't know if it actually cuts off his pinky. It's kind of out of frame, right? The, the pinky? Exactly. And as you go through the shot, you see four little bits of finger fly off that hand. And I think what he did is he lost the tip of his thumb, most of his other three fingers, and then the pinky is just kind of a... a question mark question because mark. we can't really see it yeah. but oh my gosh i love this little shot because it is quick it is clean it perfectly shows what happened to the toady it's not too overproduced or it's not like blood is squirting out everywhere yeah i appreciate that there's no blood not and from a squeamish point of view just to keep things visible yeah. Point of view. And I mean, all the toady really has to do after that point is just kind of cradle his hand and hide it from the camera. And we all know exactly what happened to it. It's really nifty the way they did that. Absolutely. Yes. So he stumbles. He's not able to keep his footing. And everybody in the horde thinks this is Laps. the funniest thing and they have Laps. seen all day. It's great. We actually spend, I think I counted eight seconds. Yeah. <laughs> And there was more on top of that. They they layered the laughing with uh, with showing other things, but there was at least eight seconds where it was nothing but watching people laugh. Yeah, we get some great reaction shots. We get a couple of the bad cops that are like laughing and one's like banging on the, the hood of his car. Yeah. We get more raiders. The dudes hanging out in front of the red truck are laughing and looking at each other. The dudes in the quasi Iron Cross dune buggy are laughing at him. I loved the reaction so much. I think I actually made a GIF oh. of like all of them laughing so I could use it as a reaction shot because I love using GIFs when I'm chatting with my friends on Messenger. <laughs> So you made a gift. I made a gift because okay. it's funny. It's just a loop of these of people three laughing. or four groups just laughing. You know what? At... That is very handy because just typing LOL is so played out and it means nothing anymore. Yeah. But like I only use it when I'm genuinely laughing, but it still doesn't mean anything. So yeah. having a gift like that, that's very useful, I think. So poor Toady, he crumbles to his knees and everyone's laughing at him. And one thing that I missed in my notes as we were watching the Toady run to catch the boomerang is we get this one shot of everybody in the board <laughs> kind of following the path they're either yes. following the boomerang or they're following the toady i think they're following the toady yeah it's like a classic tennis match where the heads are bouncing back and forth with the ball all in unison yeah it's fantastic <laughs> I got the feeling that the Lord Among Us was just letting this happen. Mm -hmm. Something that it was much easier to Ooh. not stop it. 
and just let it run its course. Right. So everyone's laughing, and the humongous is like, okay, quiet, quiet down. No more games. No more games. Oh, but before he says that, or maybe at the same time he says that, I'm not sure, we check in with the feral child. Yep. Who is delighted by what he has accomplished. He does this fantastic, I'm so tickled by this, he does a backflip into the rabbit hole. Yep. And it's just... It's so great. It is so great. (laughs) Oh. I do lament that he is now without a boomerang. Yeah. And what's his plan now? He doesn't only backflip. He lets out like a row. Yes. As he does it. And that's... It just makes it so much better. Yes. <laughs> like I said, the Lord Among Us is, okay, no more games. Right. He says, we are here for a purpose. We've come with an offer. And as he says that last part, we are seeing Wes and he's knelt down by the body of the golden youth. And he looks up at the Lord Among Us with his crazy eyes and he lets out a single, no. He is not in an emotional or intellectual mood to be making offers or parlaying or anything like that. Nope. He has gotten to that phase where he was lashing out at the feral child, and now he is ready to lash out at everybody in that compound. Yes. And that's where the minute cuts off, correct? Yeah. We get to have that one no, and then we get another quick shot of Max standing up on the wall with the curmudgeon and the mechanic. I would love to peek inside their brains watching this whole scene. Yeah, because it's very bizarre to watch. It is. Like, we saw it, you know, moving back and forth and seeing how people are reacting and seeing the emotions and things. But to see it from from far away and watching the whole scene play out in front of you. Yeah, kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. So what we are going to get tomorrow is Wes's insistence that they alter the plan that they've been running with. Mm-hmm. We're going to see the Lord Humongous's reaction to that idea yes. of altering the plan. We're going to see how the Lord Humongous deals with Wes as yes. an underling. He's got a very interesting way of controlling his dog of war. And so we'll uh, we'll get a good look at that. I just thought of something that we will talk about tomorrow. Sounds Gotta write good. it down so we don't forget. <laughs> The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, click on the support link at the top of the page, and check out our Patreon to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 33 three of the road warriors see you tomorrow